Now, I had intended to speak on the uh, Good Samaritan today. But in between what we talked about last week and the Good Samaritan is this passage in Luke 10 through 21. And I just didn't feel liberty to skip it. So it's very bad timing uh, in the middle of a six-day heat wave in Vermont to be speaking on the subject of hell. It's uh, a lousy message. Uh, No one wants to hear about this. And it's painful. Uh, Brought to you, I hope, by the Holy Spirit and not me. Uh, I really do hope that. But here we are in the heat, and next week Rod will have a much happier message, right, Rod? Happier. His face doesn't look too happy. <laughs> so we're, we're in the middle of Luke. We're at, uh, we're at that point where uh, Jesus is charging his disciples for what, what I call, I don't know what the Bible calls it, but the second mission trip. He sent, he sent, sent the disciples out first, and then he sent 70 of his followers out, I'm assuming the disciples went with him, and he charged them this way, and he said, but into whatsoever city you enter, and they receive you not, go your ways out into the streets of the same, and say, even the very dust of your city which cleaveth on us, we do wipe against you, notwithstanding, be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. You know, I, I, we one time, Mike McCain and I started going door to door around Middlebury, and he was in Rutland, we'd take one week in Rutland, one week in Middlebury, and unfortunately for us, we started on South Street, which I didn't realize was an enclave of liberalism uh, at the time. And uh, it was a very uh, eye-opening, painful, embarrassing, difficult walk to go door-to-door, attempting to hand out tracts on South Street. And that would be one of those towns where you just gather down in the middle of the street and knock the dust off your feet and, and say, just know this, that salvation has come, and you refuse it. Uh, it's a very Jewish thing to do. I, I never did that on South Street. I was too busy running. But, uh, but uh, you know, the idea is that when they go to the judgment, not one particle of their town will cleave to your feet and you'll get caught up in it. It's the idea of being clean from the sins and the rebellion of that area. Uh, but there's a hint in there, isn't there? There's a hint in there that that town is not going to fare well. Well, Jesus doesn't stop at that. But I say unto you that it should be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. And I believe when Matthew tells this story, he says it'll be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah. And you know what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. God rained down fire from the sky and utterly destroyed the city. This is a message nobody wants to hear, but God's judgment is every bit as real as His grace. God's punishment is every bit as real as His rewards. And the fact is, as much as I do not like to talk, there are two subjects I don't like to talk about. One is money, and the other is hell. And I'm going to give you a break. We're only going to talk about hell today, not money. (laughs) I hope. Sodom is brought up many times in scriptures to prove that God will not tolerate sin. So anytime, you know, people say, well, God, that's not going to happen. That'll never happen. It's never happened before. Well, you're skipping a few things like the flood and like Sodom and Gomorrah and uh, the cities of the plain when you say God's never done that before. So Sodom and Gomorrah are, are permanent illustrations along with the flood in the Old Testament that judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. All right. And then now... If, if I'm picturing this correctly as I read this passage of Scripture, 
the, the 70 are gathered around Jesus, the disciples are in the closest, and there's a crowd all the way around. So when we get to the point uh, in a couple of weeks, when we do get to the point where we talk about the Good Samaritan, the lawyer who attempts to justify himself by asking the question, who is my neighbor, which brings off the whole Good Samaritan uh, dialogue, that lawyer, I'm assuming at this point, is in the crowd now. Uh, if he's not, he's certainly in the crowd when the 70 come back rejoicing that the demons were subject to their word. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm not positive about the time frame of this thing, but the, the, the attorney will certainly be there, the lawyer will certainly be there for the second half of this message, even though we're not going to go into the lawyer's message. So then Jesus says, people standing all around him, Woe unto thee, Chorazan, uh, Chorazan. Woe unto thee, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works had been done in Tyre and Sidon, which had been done in you, they had a great while ago repented, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. I always think of Nazareth, when I, I'm sorry, of Nineveh, where this, uh, this whitewashed, old, shriveled up uh, prophet gets puked up on the beach and walks all the way to Nineveh, which is quite a walk, by the way, and starts preaching all the way along the way, and, and the, whole, the whole community repents in sackcloth and ashes. You know. But you know, when you, when you look at this passage and Jesus is saying it, you almost think to yourself, is He wasting His time? I mean, is He thinking to Himself, you know, all this preaching, all this healing, all this work that we've done two years in Capernaum and the, Gal the area of Galilee, and, and I could get a better result if I went to Tyre and Sidon. Now, I wanted to put a little map up here for you. If you look in the very upper center, you'll see Sidon. And uh, two towns down, you'll see Tyre. They're a part of Phoenicia. Uh, they've been a part of the Assyrian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, but uh, they were the Syro-Phoenician Empire in that day. And uh, they're kind of like um, San Francisco and New Orleans in terms of sinfulness. I mean, when these Jews... Now, I don't know if you can see it. How does it show up on you? That's pretty good. You see Galilee there, and just down under that, you see Capernaum, and then to the right you see Bethsaida and uh, Chorazin. You see they're at the north end of the, the lake of the Sea of Galilee. And it's actually walking distance to Tyre. So these guys are familiar with those two. Very pagan, very sinful, horrible places. And uh, so Jesus is illustrating this, and you know, these cities are known for their wickedness. Chorazin and Bethsaida are two Jewish cities in Galilee, as you can see on the map. But Jesus taught there for two years. And in general, now a lot of, there were a lot of believers there, but in general, the communities rejected him. The leadership, the overall decision of the Jewish leadership, which of course was both religious and political, rejected him. They didn't, didn't want anything to do with him. And as Jesus makes these statements today, you have to understand he won't be back. He's leaving to go to Jerusalem. He won't be back. He does come back to the Sea of Galilee after He's resurrected, but only His believers will see Him. This is the last time. This is the last time the, the world, the lost world, will see Him. You know. Well, notice three things in this verse. There's a clear personal responsibility to respond to the truth when we hear it. This town these towns are being held accountable for what they've heard from Jesus. We cannot hide behind the general opinion of the crowd. And we can't say, I didn't know. I didn't know who he was. 
We have to go by what we heard and what the Holy Spirit has spoken to our hearts. We cannot, we must not trust our political or our civic leaders to see the truth for us. It's an individual, personal responsibility. Second, notice in this passage, and I don't know if I should back up to that or not, because I keep talking about the passage and I have a map up in front of you. Second, notice on this passage, uh, to reject this truth is to invite God's judgment. And God's judgment results in eternal damnation. And third, there's a hint here. When Jesus looks at a Gentile city and he said, I've been better off witnessing up there because they would have at least repented in sackcloth and ashes. There's a hint there. In my mind, probably not biblically, it's probably not there, but I'm seeing it, that Jesus is already made up his mind that the Jews are going to reject him and he's going to go to the Gentiles and the Gentiles are going to receive it. So you have here, in my mind, a subtle reference to the birth of the church where where believing Jews take the gospel to believing Gentiles and the church is born. Uh, Something the Jews actually knew nothing of. They didn't expect that at all. I'm going to skip up to our next verse. But it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you read this verse and you say, is there in this a hint at differing levels of punishment in the afterlife? I mean, if the Jews are lost, I don't know if there's a such thing as a Sidonese, but the people of Sidon and Tyre are lost and it's more tolerable for them. You know, my first reaction is, well, the judgment will be easier on them. But what does that mean? Does that mean the punishment is, are there, are there levels in hell? Is Dante right? Are there nine levels in hell? Is, is, are, there, are there differences in it? I don't know. I'm, you, you want to get into that, you get into a, a pretty good discussion, let me tell you. Uh, will hell be more tolerable for some than others? Now, this is got questions. I often refer to got questions, and you think, my God, got questions, you know. That's just some internet thing. Well, yeah, it is, but uh, Michael Hoodman, a PhD of Dallas Theological Seminary, is the one that manages that site, and I've never found anything at Dallas that I couldn't trust. So, bad as his title is, got questions. I like his writings. He writes, whatever punishment the former residents of Sodom, Tyre, and Sidon were experiencing in hell, the Galilean towns that refused to hear Christ would experience more. The level of punishment in hell seems to be tied to the amount of light a person receives. I remember at Southern Seminary there was a guy teaching there, and if I, if I were younger, I'd actually remember his name. He was the chair of theology at Southern Seminary, and he was teaching that if you haven't heard that Jesus died for your sins, you wouldn't go to hell. But if you tell someone the plan of salvation that Jesus died for their sins and they don't receive Jesus, then they'll go to hell. And this this preacher that I was talking to was a graduate of that program. He said, we're better off not telling anybody. Or they're better off if we don't tell anybody. And I thought, well, that, that doesn't go with any gospel I've ever heard at all. But you do wonder when you read these scriptures what Jesus is talking about. And I don't know the answer to that. What is Jesus talking about here? Are there levels? Is there, is there some hope that people who have never heard get a little better treatment? I don't know the answer to that, but there, there are implications. Luke chapter 12, this is Jesus' own words. The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. Jesus speaking. 
But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few, few blows. What does that mean? I don't know. I don't know. I'd like to know. Because I have family members that I believe are in hell right now. I'd like to know what that means. From everyone who has been given much, Jesus goes on to say, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. That's neither good for them that grew up in America, nor is it good for us. That's a scary verse. The more you have, the more God expects of us. The more you know, the more God demands. The more you have. Now he turns on Capernaum. Jesus still speaking. And thou Capernaum, which are exalted to heaven, shall be thrust down to hell. A.T. Robertson reads this. And thou, could, and thou Capernaum, Will you be exalted to heaven? A.T. Robertson makes a question out of that Greek. I don't. I like this interpretation better. Which are exalted to heaven shall be thrust down to hell. Capernaum, the city where Jesus lived, probably in Peter's house for two years, exalted because God himself came to live in that city, in my interpretation. The way I see it, you're exalted because I'm here. I have exalted your presence. You, you can actually say God lived here. For two years, we ate with him. We walked with him. We watched him do marriage. Imagine. Imagine living in Middlebury and Jesus lives here for two years and we watch him heal the sick, cast out demons, and preach the gospel every Sunday in church. Now, he was doing it Friday nights in the synagogues, but that's a different time. Same story. Imagine that for two years and we reject him and we reject his teachings. And we reject His offer of salvation. After all of that, that's where Capernaum is at. I should say was at. Capernaum is no more. Thou Capernaum shall be thrust down to hell. Now that's, if you believe He was just a prophet, that's bad enough. But if you know who He was and recognize that Jesus is going to be the judge of all the earth, or He is the judge of all the earth, and He's already pronounced judgment on your town, this is a powerfully negative statement. Plummer writes, the desolation of the whole neighborhood and the difficulty of even identifying the site of these flourishing towns as part of the fulfillment of this prophecy. They have excavated much of the old town of Capernaum and they do in fact think they have identified Peter's house where Jesus lived now, but it took years to find it. Jameson Fawcett Brown writes, Tyre and Sidon were ruined by commercial prosperity. You could say that about the United States of America. It was ruined by commercial prosperity. Sodom sank through its vile pollutions. Well, unfortunately, you can say that about us now too. But the doom of otherwise correct persons who admits the blaze of light, reject a Savior, shall be less endurable than any of these. You're better to never have heard and live in Las Vegas than you are to have gone to church your whole life and reject Jesus. It's a question of how much light we've received as if there is levels of punishment, if there are levels of punishment, it's a question of whether or how much light we've received. Imagine the conversations in hell. God lived right in our town and we didn't receive Him. God came to me. God Himself came to me and offered me the free pardon of salvation. And I rejected it. Wow. Even if there weren't fire in hell, the regret alone would burn you up, wouldn't it? 
Now, I'm getting this from a guy by the name of hmm, Terry Watkins. And I don't know who he is, but I like his outline, so I'm going to share just pieces of it with you, not the whole thing. You can look it up, Place Called Hell by Terry Watkins on the Internet, and you can get all eight pages of the verses that speak of it. The Bible continually warns, Terry writes of a place called hell. There are over 162 references in the New Testament alone which warn of hell, and over 70 of these references were uttered by our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know who said it, but somewhere back in my distant past, someone said Jesus spoke on hell more times than He spoke on heaven. I don't know how to prove that's true or not, but I'm sure it was one of my seminary professors. So this is from Terry. First of all, now this is like two of the verses that he has 20 of. Uh, in hell, hell is a place of fire. Uh, yeah, you can read that. Jesus says, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire, and there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 25, 41, Jesus says, depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire. Hell is a place of fire. The Bible gives us the location of hell, Terry writes. When Jesus died on the cross, Peter writes that he descended into hell. Hades, the place of the dead, that's a whole nother sermon. I do not believe he went into the punishment side of hell. I believe he went into the paradise side of hell. And I believe in the two-compartmentalized two view. And I believe that when Jesus ascended, he took paradise to heaven with him. I believe the believers who... I believe the believers. That's probably not a good sentence. I believe the people who died before Jesus was resurrected went to a holding place called paradise. That's what he said to the thief. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And I believe that was in association across from hell. And we'll get to that in Luke chapter 22. Not today. I lost my place. He descended into hell. When he arose and Mary was hugging him, he said, I have not yet ascended to my father. And that's because I believe he had just ascended out of the place of the dead, which we call, he called paradise. Uh, Peter writes in verse 31, seeing this before he spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, uh, the Greek says. Uh, hell is our common translation of the word for Hades. It's also the place of the dead, uh, which would also qualify to be what we call paradise. And in Matthew 12, 40, Jesus Christ says, for as Jonas was three days, that's Jonah, of course, was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The Bible is clear. Hell is inside the earth. Interestingly enough, Chuck Missler agrees with this. He says, "If you know, hell is often referred to as a bottomless pit. A bottomless pit. Where can you have a bottomless pit? Except in the center of the earth, where any direction you go is up. There's no bottom in the center of the earth. That's the point that Chuck Missler tries to make. You know. Hell is a place of torment. Jesus said to man in Luke 16, 23, in hell he lifted up his eyes being in torments. Verse 24, for I am tormented in this flame. Verse 28, a place of torment. Hell is a place of torment. Hell will be beyond anything humanly imaginable. And I think I should have put those references in red just to differentiate them from the Scripture phrases. The Bible describes it as, and I'm not going to read the Scripture references. You can see them. The Bible describes hell as weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth, darkness, flames, burning, torments, everlasting punishment. Jesus says, uh, I think I cut it off incorrectly there. Christ says in Matthew 25, 41, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil 
and his angels. Now, I don't know how to get you any more bummed out than by reading that. I'm depressing myself here. Um, but I'm going to make it just a little bit worse. Because you can say, well, Jesus never lived in my town. Well, Jesus is still in the process of charging the 70 for their mission. And their mission was to go all the towns in between him and the northern area of, of Israel, down through Samaria and down in Jerusalem, and prepare them for the fact that the king of the universe is coming to visit their town. He's going to begin working his way towards Jerusalem where he's going to be murdered proclaiming the truth that he is God in the flesh. They're going to kill him for that. But he's going to go to a lot of towns and he's sending these 70 out two by two uh, to witness to those different towns. And he says to those missionaries, which he also says to us because it's true, when He sends you to someone, when the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart, to go over to your neighbor and talk to them about something. And you talk to them about something. It is as if God considered it the same thing as... I remember one time I was sitting on my porch and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and across the porch in Chattanooga was this broken down old house and the neighbor was sitting on her porch and the Holy Spirit you need, said, you need to go talk to her. I didn't want to go talk to her. I don't even remember if I did go talk to her. I just remember being nudged by the Holy Spirit. And if I went, I certainly hope I did. If I went, it would have been the same as if Jesus went over and sat down on the porch with her. You have to understand that. You know, that young lady that said to me, oh, you really need Jesus in New Orleans at night, 1967. That was Jesus speaking to me. I mean, I don't remember anything else she said, but I do remember, oh, you really need Jesus. You know, I remember that clear as a bell. I wouldn't recognize her, but I remember that phrase. Look what Jesus said. He that hears you is hearing me. And he that despises you is despising me. And he that despiseth me is despising him that sent me. I was thinking about Middlebury College this week. Middlebury College was started by Congregationalists right here in town. Their first president was a preacher. Do you know who their 10th president was? Does anyone know? His name was Paul Dwight Moody, the son of Dwight L. Moody, one of three sons of Dwight L. Moody. Now, I tried to find evidence that Moody, Dwight L. Moody, I'd heard, always heard that Dwight L. Moody has spoken, had, had spoken. Better not put him in the present tense had spoken at the Congregational Church. You could say they've come a long way, baby. But uh, Paul worked very hard to modernize Middlebury College. Now that, he was the college president. Did I write it down here? Um, he died in 1947. They actually fired him in 1945. Uh, they replaced him, probably with somebody more liberal. I don't know that, though. Um, and the first president was somewhere around, I didn't put that date down, but it was somewhere around 1810. They've had 130 years of gospel witness at that college. It's pretty incredible. 
And you can say they've come a long way, baby. Because they don't want the gospel there anymore. But remember what Jesus said, to reject the people that Jesus sends to us is to reject Jesus Himself. And to reject Jesus Himself is to reject God the Father. The United States in the past 200 years has had more light than Capernaum ever had based on that reading. So the disciples went out and they were excited and they came back and they saw people healed and they saw people saved and they saw demons cast out and they were all excited. And you get to verse 20 and Jesus says, don't rejoice in that. That spirits are subject to you. Casting out demons, that's nothing. Rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. That's what you want to be happy about. That my name is on his book. Because when we get to the judgment, they're going to look in the book. And they're going to see if our name is in the book. And if our name's not in the book, the Bible says we're going to be cast alive into the lake of fire. Now when they all came back and everybody was excited and they were all happy for a change because it didn't happen too often in Jesus' ministry, the people were happy. Verse 21 says, In that hour at that same time, or that was about the same time, uh, Luke writes, Jesus rejoiced in His Spirit and said, Thank Thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that Thou hast hid these from the wise and prudent, and has revealed them unto babes, even so, Father, so it seemed good in thy sight. Jesus looked around at his followers and he saw fishermen. He saw tax collectors. He saw, saw wannabe soldiers. He saw working class people. And he rejoiced because they heard the truth and they received it. The point is that salvation is not about intellect. It's not about position or wealth. It's not about personal power. Jesus goes on to say in the next verse, all things are delivered to me of my Father. There's a sermon there if you want to meditate on that. All things are delivered to me of my Father. And no man knoweth who the Son is but the Father, and who the Father is but the Son, and he to whom the Son will reveal him. You can't think your way into heaven. You can't brainiac your way into heaven. You can't buy your way into heaven. It's not about intellect or position or wealth or power. The only way is through the revelation of the Holy Spirit that we can know who Jesus truly is. So when the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart, receive Him. Don't put it off. Because without the Holy Spirit, we cannot be saved without Him moving on our heart. You can't think, well, I'll think about this like the king did and said, oh, this is very interesting. I'll, I'll, I'll sleep on this tonight. Yeah, well, you're still sleeping on it, King, because if you don't respond when the Holy Spirit comes to you, you haven't got a chance of avoiding hell. That's the point. He is our only hope of salvation. A.T. Robertson writes that God has proved His independence of the human intellect is a matter for thankfulness. You don't have to be smart to be saved. And A.T. Robertson writes that makes me happy. We should be happy that you don't have to be a genius to think your way into heaven. It's a work of God. Intellect, intellectual gifts, A.T. goes on to say, so far from being necessary, are often a hindrance. Because we think too much. I've often made that joke when I'm talking to Middlebury couples that are thinking about getting married. You wouldn't believe the number of questions they come up with and the tests they put themselves through to see if do I qualify? Is this going to work out? Is this going to go? Oh my God, just stop thinking and get married. You know, no one knows the answer to these questions. 
If you believe in your heart that God has called the two of you to be together, and you believe in your heart that God wants you to be married, just shut up and get married. Because you will never figure it out. And even if you do, if you find the absolute perfect woman, good, she's not here. If you find the absolute perfect woman, a year from now, she's going to be different than the one you met. And unfortunately, we are too. We all change. It's in God's hands. It's not in our hands. And he turned to his disciples and he said to them, privately, blessed are the eyes which see the things that ye see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see those things which ye see, and have not seen them, and hear those things which you hear, and have not heard them. So the issue is not how smart you are, or what church you go to, or what denomination you are. You could even say what denomination of Baptist, since there's over 200 Baptist denominations. The issue is, can you hear? Have you heard? And can you see? Have you seen? And then have you received? Let's pray. Father, it is again my hope that no one leaves this building without having heard your voice and responded in faith to your son Jesus, saying, Lord, Forgive me of my sins and please save me. Lord, if any of this is true, I want it to be true for me. And I know, Father, that if they'll pray the simplest of prayers in Jesus' name, you will hear them. You will hear them in Jesus' name. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.